Welcome to the Valley Bear Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Unshakable Hope. Unshakable Hope is a reminder of the hope we have in Christ, how it is enduring and withstands and lasts through the ages, the hope that comes with knowing the God who sees us, loves us, and will never leave us. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning. I want to welcome everybody here in our Granby campus as well as our online campus. I recognize this is Memorial Day weekend, and this is a weekend where we remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom and for our protection. And as I was thinking about that, you know, one of the things that struck me is that every serviceman and every servicewoman who has made the ultimate sacrifice, who has signed up to serve, has, has made a, a pledge, a promise, and uh, to uh, defend and protect. And we're grateful to those men and women, and we're also grateful to those families whose loved ones have made that ultimate sacrifice for that promise that they made and, and kept. I know there's some servicemen and women in here, so why don't we just show our appreciation to them. So I'm concluding the sermon series called Unshakable Hope, and as I do so today, I want us to remember that this hope that we're talking about is not some kind of wishful thinking, this idea that maybe you've experienced this when you've taken a test that you haven't studied very well for, and you said, I hope I did well. Meaning uh, you, you, you hope that uh, God's going to bend time and somehow make your wrong answers turn right. Uh, but the hope that we've been talking about throughout this series is a, is a sure and a certain kind of hope. That it, that it is true, that it's real. And, and so we're going to conclude this series today talking about the unshakable hope of God's promises. So let me begin just with this uh, understanding of the Apostle Paul's life. The contrast between the rabbi and the king was stark. The Jew was old and bent. He had no bodily advantage. Two years in prison had left him gaunt. His cheeks were hollow and smudged. His purse held but a few coins and his entourage but a couple of friends. Baldness laureled his head. His beard was gray yet full. And he wore the simple cloak of a teacher, a traveling teacher. Compared to the king, he was simple and impoverished. Of course, compared to the king, everyone was simple and impoverished. You see, King Agrippa came in and he entered the court that day with great pomp. He and his sister were arrayed in purple. Roman legionnaires followed them. Agrippa was the appointed ruler, the curator of religion and the overseer of that area. Paul, by contrast, was a simple missionary. He had every reason to fear the judgment of this monarch. The king was the latest in the Herod dynasty, the last of the Herods who would meddle with Christ and his followers. His great-great-grandfather had attempted to kill baby Jesus by slaughtering the children of Bethlehem. His grand-uncle murdered John the Baptist, and his father, Agrippa I, executed James and imprisoned Peter. You might say that they had it out for the people in Jesus' circle. And now Paul stood before him, 
He was in prison and in trouble for preaching a new religion. How would the apostle defend himself? Would he appeal for mercy? Would he call for a miracle? And what was arguably the most important speech of his life, how would Paul present his case? After a word of introduction, Paul said these words, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. My hope in what God has promised. Paul's defense included no references to his accomplishments. He could have said, I've been known to call a person back from the dead because he had. He could have deferred for preferential treatment because he was a Roman citizen, but he didn't. He didn't attempt to justify his actions. He could have said, I'm only being open-minded. None of that. His only justification was that he believed in the promises of God. Do you believe in the promises of God? The apostle Paul built his life and his unshakable hope on the promises of God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I need to also make sure that each and every day we're building our lives on the unshakable promises that God has made to us. The first thing that we need to recognize about God is this. this God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Every promise God has made to you and to me, he has kept. From the very beginning of the Bible, when God speaks, he makes promises. His words are his promises to us. And we have a book full of those promises. In fact, the truth is that God makes those promises to us because he wants us to know him and he wants us to know his love and he wants us to go through this life on this earth knowing him and to spend eternity with him because of those promises literally there are thousands and thousands of promises in the bible that god has made to us in fact one person attempted to count those promises years ago and by his count he said there are 7487 promises that god made to all of us to every single human on this earth and remember he makes those promises to us because he cares for us because he loves with us, and because he wants to know us and spend forever with us. Pretty mind-blowing, really, when you think about it, that that's how much God loves us. Pastor and author Max Lucado tells a story from his own childhood that illustrates the promise of being a promise keeper. He writes, when I was around 12 years old, I tagged along with my father as he went to buy some new tires for the family car. Dad was from a small town and from simpler times. He was, he was unadorned of fancy dress or of wealth. He was just a reliable oil field mechanic who loved his family, who paid his bills, and who kept his word. He was insulted by anyone who doubted his integrity. And that day, he was certainly insulted in that tire shop. He selected the tires, and we waited for them to be mounted. And when it came time to pay the bill, I stood by Dad's side at the counter as he wrote the check. The sales clerk looked at the check and then requested that my father produce some identification. Now, you and I are used to that. That practice is very normal, and it's unquestioned by us today. But this was the 1960s. 
And a merchant seldom, if ever, asked for verification. So when that happened, Dad was taken aback, he wrote. He said, you don't believe I am who that check says that I am? The clerk was embarrassed. We require this of all of our customers, he said. Do you think I am dishonest? It's not that, sir. If you don't think I'm good for my word, then you can remove those tires. I remember, he writes, a long, awkward silence as the clerk weighed his options. And then he says, we went home with those tires that day. But I went home with something more, a lesson on integrity. Good people are serious about keeping their word. And then he reflects, how much more serious would a good God be about keeping his word? Scripture tells us that God's faithfulness to Israel was illustrated in a scripture where God says, where Joshua writes, not one of the Lord's promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. And that can be also said about God's promises to us today. So God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. We can take God at his word and scripture communicates those promises to us over and over, page after page after page. So let's talk about those promises. Those promises of God are very meaningful to us. They give us hope. They cast out our fears. Those promises calm our restless hearts. Those promises renew our faith. Those promises challenge us. And those promises sustain us. And those promises do so much more. But about those promises, we need to understand them a little bit more. You know, first of all, we need to understand that there are both positive promises that God makes to us and negative promises. So, and I'll explain that, okay? Some of the promises that God makes to us are positive, and they tell us exciting things. Things that we want to claim and hold on to. Some of the promises are negative. What do I mean by negative? It means that God makes some promises to us about our behavior and that if we participate in that, that behavior, there's going to be consequences for our disobedience. Here's a positive promise. One that I would encourage you to memorize. It's from Proverbs chapter 3. Maybe you already know it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's a promise of God's guidance, that, that God will always guide us. If we turn to him, God will always be there. So we need to trust him and trust that he will show us the way through difficult and challenging times. It's a promise worth remembering, remembering and worth memorizing. Here's an example of a negative promise. It's a startling promise. It's from Luke chapter 17. You probably read it and maybe you haven't thought about it in this context, so let's do so. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. That's a graphic word picture of the consequences of bad behavior. It's a promise. A promise that if we cause people to stumble and to fall and to sin, if we cause people to, to walk away from God, there'll be consequences. 
Positive promises and negative promises. There are also general promises and specific promises. So what do I mean by that? Well, general promises are given by God to every follower of Jesus. And they are are promises that he gives us that are for now and for forever. They're for eternity. When the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of Scripture to record these general promises, they were, there were no limitations as to whom the promise was made or for how long the promise would be available. So, general promises are not time-bound and they're not person-bound. Let me give you an example of a promise that is not time-bound or person-bound. In fact, it's a promise that I have prayed over countless people, maybe some of you. Why? Because it's a powerful promise that God gives to us, and it comes from the Apostle Paul from the book of Philippians. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests known to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a powerful promise of peace. I've claimed it for myself, and I've claimed it for others, and we all need to know that promise and hang on to it again, to read it and commit it to memory. And there's a whole bunch more General promises like that, promises of eternal life, promises of forgiveness, promises of strength, promises of answered prayer, and on and on and on these promises go. And they're to us, to all of us, and they're not time-bound. And as I said, there are also also some specific promises, and those specific promises are the opposite of general promises. Specific promises are for a specific person for a specific time. And those promises are time-bound, and they're person-bound. And so let me give you an example of one. It's a promise that God made to King Solomon. And we read from 1 Kings these words. I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So when you read that verse in its context, you can see that that's the promise that God made to Solomon about his kingdom. And it's interesting to note that in making that promise, God is also reminding us and telling us of another specific promise that God made and kept to Solomon's father, King David. Now, when already what I've said about specific promises are for specific for specific people at specific times. I have to acknowledge, though, that there can be a caveat to that. And it's this. We cannot limit the power of the Holy Spirit to use a specific promise that was for a specific person at a specific time at some place in history to encourage us in a general way. So let me give you an example. God made a specific promise to ancient Israel. And he made that promise through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what the promise says. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Boy, when you read that, 
all of us can find comfort in that verse that God will not remove his love from us and that he will not remove his peace from us. That will encourage us. So here's an example of a specific promise being used to encourage others, even though the promise wasn't made specifically to us. The Apostle Paul gives us actually an example right in Scripture in the book of Acts. He took a prophetic promise about the Messiah and he quoted it as a verse that explained the calling that God had placed on him to take the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to the non-Israelite population, to the Gentiles. And he claims this verse from Isaiah 49 that we will immediately recognize as being about the Messiah, being about Jesus. And this was the verse. He said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's from Isaiah 49. Now, is this about Paul or about the Messiah? It's about the Messiah. Is Paul the Messiah? No, Paul is not the Messiah. But in that verse, Paul sees encouragement for his calling to take the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the dark world of the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, so that they will know that Jesus is the light of the world and brings them salvation. And so he took that specific promise that God made to Jesus and he used it to encourage others and also to define his calling to take the good news to the Gentiles. Now, let me give you a couple of rules of thumb when we see a promise of God and want to claim it for ourselves. First, we need to understand this, that sometimes God's promises are conditional. So if you see the word if in that context, then you recognize that God is giving you a promise if you choose to do whatever it says that come with it. So trust in the Lord with all your hearts and he will make your path straight. It's this idea that if is not there, it's implied. But if you trust in God, he's going to make your path straight. You're going to trust him. That's the thing that you have to do to claim that promise. We also need to know that God gives us those promises to help us follow him and to submit to his will and to trust him. We're not claiming those promises to make God do something for us. We're claiming those promises that he's made to all of us so that we can become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And here's the last rule of thumb. We can't presume to know precisely when, where, or how God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives. We just have to trust it when we claim that promise for our lives. We claim it today. We can't necessarily expect it to come into being today, but we have to trust that God will. If you've ever heard stories about George Mueller, he was a pastor, but he also was a, a man. He and his wife started many orphanages in Bristol, England. And one of the things that was very noted about George Mueller was the fact that he prayed and constantly relied on God to provide for this ministry to orphans. In fact, so much so was he confident of God's provision that he would never ask for funds. He would never solicit or do fundraising for his orphanages. He just trusted that God would provide. And yes, he poured out his heart in prayer to God often, 
and God would show up in amazing ways. And in fact, there's a story one time that George and his wife were uh, one evening getting ready for to close down the evening. He was in his study studying and his wife, Mary, came to him and said, you know, we don't have enough milk to feed the kids in the morning. We, there's no funds left. Now, this wasn't the first time that this had happened. And they had trusted God all along this far and they weren't gonna stop trusting God so he grabbed her hand and he said, let's pray. And with a couple of other employees of the orphanage, they gathered around, they held hands, and they prayed because this was important to them. They claimed the promise of Scripture in Philippians 4.19 that says this, God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So they really trusted that God would meet their needs at that moment for this thing. And so they prayed. And it was later that evening, not long after they prayed, when there was a knock on the door and Mary went to the door and someone had sent over funds, enough funds for them to purchase milk to be able to have milk at their morning meal. Time and time again, when you read through the history of George Mueller, you see how God answers prayers, how God has shown them the promise of answered prayer is fulfilled in unique and powerful ways in their lives. He said to those people in his orphanage that day, he said, be assured if you walk with God and look to God and expect help from God, God will never fail you. You know, George and Mary Mueller built their lives on the promises of God, that God would do what he promised he would do. And so they trusted him over and over. You and I have to decide that same thing. Will we build our lives on the promises of God? Will we trust him and what he says? We all have to answer that question. Will we do that? Will we build our lives on the promises of God? Jesus tells a parable, a parable that is very appropriate to this question. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So what was the difference between the wise and the foolish builder? Both hear God's word and God's promises, but only one builds their life on those promises of God's word. Look, we all know that life can be hard. We all have challenges in life. We all know as followers of Jesus that when we live in a world that doesn't embrace faith in Jesus, that we constantly are going against the stream of culture. But we have all these promises from God that we can hold on to and that we can build our lives on. One of God's promises that I built my life on in this challenging world we live in is found in one of the last things that Jesus told to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. After he had given the great commission, he spoke these words to them. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
That sustains me over and over that Jesus is with me in challenging times, in difficult days, when sadness and sorrow abound, when things just aren't going right. I know that Jesus is with me and will get me through that. And I know he's with me in the times when things are going well, but it's so important for me to hang on to that promise when things aren't going well. You see, God is with us. And he's made a lot of promises for us to build our lives on. So we have to decide, do we just want to survive in this life or do we want to thrive in this life? And we can thrive when we build our lives on the promises of God. There's an old hymn that probably many of you know. It's called Standing on the Promises of God. If you're familiar with it, you probably remember the chorus, which is a declaration that you are living your life standing on the promises of God. And while all the verses are meaningful, I think it's the second verse that that really shows the power of building our lives on the promises of God. So I I just want to read that second verse to you. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. God has given us his promises in his son, who is the living word of God, and also in the Bible, which is the written word of God. So you and I need to be wise builders. We need to build our lives on the promises of God and his word. In doing so, I want to challenge you because the reality is this. You know, we can take in a lot of content into our lives. You know, the reality is between smartphones and televisions and laptops, we are bombarded with information and media all the time. And some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's neutral. But how much time do we take in God's word? You can't know the promises of God, much less stand on the promises of God if you're not in God's word, if you're not reading it. So I want to challenge you to start reading God's word on a daily basis. If you're not, I want to encourage you to to start, and I'll give you a simple way to do it. If you already are, I want to encourage you to, to spend more time. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to think consciously as you read God's word, is this a promise that God has made for me? And then write it down. Maybe you can come up with that 7,000 plus number of promises that God has made to all of us that that one person found. So let let me give you a couple of ways just to help you start this process. If you go to our website, we have a resource page, or if you're on our YouVersion outline, you'll find them there. There's three things that I would encourage you to do. Uh, The YouVersion Bible app has a whole list of reading plans that are built on the promises of God. I would encourage you to go there and begin to read through those and write down the promises that you discover along the way and even begin to put some of them to memory. The second thing I would do is on that resource page, I've given you a list, just not an exhaustive list, but a small list of some of the promises of God from a website. So I want to encourage you to check those out. And I've also included a, a PDF from George Mueller of some of the promises that he recorded and claimed over his lives. The reality is that they're there for us. We just have to Read them, discover them, claim them, pray them for ourselves and for others and build our lives on the promises of God. 
I want to close in prayer for all of us that we will build our lives on the promises of God. And, and, and as I say that, I recognize that there may be somebody here in the room or somebody with us online that has actually never accepted God's promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you've never done that, I'm going to begin that prayer with a time for you to pray a simple prayer back to God and to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive the promise of eternal life. So if you're here in the room, if you're online, just bow your heads with me. If you want to pray this first prayer, I invite you just to repeat the phrases I'm going to give back to you, give to you, give them, pray them back to God silently, wherever you are. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died to pay for my sins. And today I turn away from those sins. I repent. And I believe not only that Jesus died, but that he rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. And we'll say amen to that prayer, but we'll continue in prayer. God, you have given us so many promises. They are there for us. They're there for the taking. I pray that you would encourage each one of us to, to lean into those promises that are in your word, to, to have a, a holy discontent, to want to discover those promises and build our lives on them, and that we would put you to the test and trust you over and over so that we can build our lives on those promises and share them with others. So Lord, may we begin to do that now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.